Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. You may be seated. You may be seated. Good to see you this morning. Glad you're here. You look all fresh and ready to go. Somewhere um, about uh, 20 minutes ago, the Holy Spirit, as I call him, caffeine, <laughs> kicked in, and so now I'm ready to go. But it took me a little bit this morning. I just was a little tired as I kind of got started this morning, and I'm excited to be able to share with you. And Bruce, I didn't know, he's not out here, I don't think, but I didn't know he was doing that song today. I mentioned this song months ago as, man, I just love this song. I think that's the first time we've ever done it, but it is such a beautiful song. And it really represents really well where we're going today in Genesis chapter 22. If you take your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to go on a little bit of a journey today. and We're going to talk about how to discern God's will, how to understand His leading and direction in our life. And I know a lot of people look for signs, and I understand that God does lead through signs, although sometimes those can kind of regard some perilousness and cause some problems. I heard about four guys, actually they were, they were senior men who were driving together in a car and they were going really, really slow. Now I understand it's not that big a deal to go slow. They were going crazy slow. They were going like 20 miles an hour on a major, major interstate. And so finally a police officer thought something must be wrong, so he put it on his lights, he pulls them over, and there's four guys in, he goes up to the driver, he says, sir, is there a problem? He goes, no, there's no problem, officer. And he goes, well, do you realize how slow you're driving? And the guy said, well, I, I don't know, I see these signs that say 20 miles an hour, and I just assumed I'm supposed to go 20 miles an hour. He goes, no, no, that's not, that's not the speed limit sign, that's the, that's the highway sign, you're on Highway 20. And he looked in the back seat, and the guys in the back seat were about ready to have a heart attack. Their, their faces were all crazy, and, and he said, what's wrong with them? They said, we just got off of Highway 131. <laughs> Sometimes when you read the signs, you read them wrong. I told somebody this morning, I said, I was asking God for a sign that I should eat a donut, and sure as the world, I saw Tim Hortons. <laughs> uh, but... Um, I have not eaten a donut in over two months, by the way. I've been on that journey, so it's like uh, uh, I haven't eaten a, Jonah, a donut. I've eaten a lot of pie, but I haven't eaten, no, I'm just kidding. I haven't eaten any of that stuff. But, uh, but this morning what I want to do is I want to talk to us a little bit about what it means to follow God's voice. And I, my, my son Wesley, um, oh, a number of years ago had asked me, he said, Dad, you talk a little bit about, you know, hearing God's voice and having God lead your life, but what does that look like? How do you do that? And, you know, sometimes for, for in our lives, we say things that are, sometimes it's kind of hard to put them into words as to how you do something. It's, it's easier to do by model and, rep, and, and, and alongside of someone than it is to kind of explain how to do it. It's interesting because I think oftentimes believers today get very discouraged because God doesn't seem to be speaking to them in the way that he does to people in the Old Testament. Or in the New Testament, for that matter. And yet, while God wants to lead us, if you really look at the life of those individuals, we don't really see God speaking that often. Abraham is the father of the Israelite nation. He's considered the patriarch, Father Abraham. Abraham lived about 175 years, which at that time was really old. I mean, that was really getting up there, a good long life, 175 years. Man's Time started to shorten after that. We see that there's a decline in the age that people reach. But it's interesting, in 175 years, at least recorded, we don't really see that many times that God speaks to him. 
There might be maybe seven or eight times recorded. We, we know that God spoke to him when he called him out of his homeland into an unknown land. In fact, God didn't even tell him where he was going. And then God settled him in what became the land of Canaan, or what we know as the land of Canaan, or Israel. And, and then there was a time where God spoke to him and blessed him for allowing Lot to make a choice. And since Abraham didn't choose to live in the, in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, God spoke to him and said, hey, I want you to look around. Everything you see all the way to the great sea on the west, all the way over to here, that's all going to be yours someday. He says, I'm going to make you a great, a great nation. In fact, the times that we see God speaking oftentimes are in regard to his, his lineage, his, his children, or to the future children, his descendants that are going to be coming as he promises over and over again to make him into a great nation. Abraham was really only about 75, I think, when God called him into a new foreign territory. Some of you remember the story that Abraham was 100 years old. God made him a promise. Hey, this time next year, you're going to be a dad. You're, you're going to have a son through your wife, and she's 90 years old. And Abraham believed, and it was called righteousness. And, and she had already been barren all these years, and he believed it was considered righteousness. But really, when you think about it, God at least recorded maybe 10 times. Well, in 175 years, that's once every couple of decades. And so I, I want us to understand what it means to follow by faith, as a friend of mine says, that we always like to follow God to the period, right? We, we want to follow him to a destination, but God calls us to follow him in the comma, when you don't know what's coming next. And I want to go through a journey today because in Genesis chapter 22, in Genesis 22, I, I find this to be one of the the greatest tests of any individual that takes place in all of Scripture. It says this, sometime later, this is after his son Isaac has been born. We believe by this time Isaac was somewhere between 13 years of age, some believe all the way up to 28, 29 years of age. I think he was probably in his latter teen years, somewhere between 13 and 18. And it says, sometimes later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. I think, I think it was actually a term of excitement. I don't think he'd heard him for a while. He trusted him, but I think he was excited. Here I am. <laughs> Something new. God's going to speak to me. Uh, then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. Burnt offering, if you recall from a couple of weeks ago, means it's an offering of total devotion and surrender where you're just simply loving on God and saying, I'll give you everything. I want you to offer a burnt offering on one of those mountains that I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took him uh, along with two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there and we will worship, and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. He placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went up together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, 
father. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. And I think Isaac's starting to put it together. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on. They continued on together. And when they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there. He arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And when he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. I think it was a different tone. I think the first one it was, here I am. And as God begins to speak to him, his face just begins to frown. And then in this last one, I think it was more of a, here I am, out of desperation. He says, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said, and do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld me from your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said that on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Now, we could, we could spend, in fact, you know what, as I recall, I believe this passage was the passage I spoke out of the very first time I ever preached at Colonial Woods. Uh, this was, uh, whenever that was, June 2002, I, I came here, I think we had one service, this was the passage that I preached out of, and oh, I've preached a couple of times since then out of this passage, and we, we could take a look at everything from living by faith. We could take a look at this passage and look what it means to have something that we need to sacrifice to God. What is the one thing that God is asking for? In fact, I think that might have been a message, one thing. But when I look at this passage, what it really teaches me is that it, it, it equates to me very quickly on how to be led by God and how to understand the will of God for our life. And some of you are asking that question. How do I know? How you're making either some decisions. Maybe it's one of those things where you want to do it day by day. How do I do? How do I, how do I know God's voice? How do I understand God's voice? How do I walk, uh, as Scripture says in the New Testament, lead, being led by the Spirit? How do I do that? And there are three things that kind of jump out at me in this passage. And the first one, you've heard out of my voice before, but it's okay. It's still true today. It is simply this. He was living with a yes on his heart. And I will tell you, if there is, an, uh, if there is something that has to be in place for us to be able to hear the voice of God, for God to direct our lives, it is this idea of living with a yes on our heart. It means that no matter what God says, I'll say yes. If God says go, then I'll go. If God says stay, there's a song out today, and I, I, I didn't think to look it up right before I came up here, so I can't give you all the, the words, but it basically says, I'm tired of chasing feelings. And so if you say, stay, Lord, I'm going to stay. And if you say, go, Lord, I'm going to go. And if you say, no, Lord, then I'm going to not do that. And if you say that I'm supposed to pick something up, then I'm going to pick it up because I'm tired of chasing feelings. I am going to walk in obedience. I am going to whatever it is, I am going to say yes to you. And we notice that in this very first response because it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, 
here I am. And that phrase, here I am, is a statement of readiness and willingness. It says, Lord, whatever you say, I am ready and I am willing to be obey whatever it is. And that's why so many times when we get into a message prep time when I pray, I say, Holy Spirit, we're going to say yes to you. Because many times, in fact, I don't even know if we use these anymore. Maybe it's more like a voicemail. But we like to listen to God like we like to listen to, to voicemail calls or like we like to listen to our... Um, we still have answering machines. Is there such a thing today? Uh, an answering machine in that we screen the call, then we decide if we're going to call them back. And if you're saying, well, pastor, that is so old-fashioned. Okay. It's when you read a text, but you don't respond. I never knew with those little bubbles on an iPhone. I don't know how God leads people with Androids. But uh, if you have an iPhone, if you send a text and you're in a text relationship with them, um, I, I noticed every once in a while that when I would text, there would be these little bubbles that appear back on my screen and I finally figured out what that meant. It meant the person read, opened the text, and had started to type. But you know how many times people evidently start typing to me, and then they go, I don't know what to do. So they don't, and they never finish it. And I'm sitting there going, hey, 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 what are you saying? Say it to me. And they may not respond for all. I know none of you do such a thing, but I just want you to know, if you text me, I know it, okay? I know it when you read it. And so we oftentimes, we delay because we're not sure either what the response is going to be or we'd like to see what they're going to say before we formulate our answer. And you know, when, when the answer on your heart is yes, you don't have to be afraid to open it. It's an immediate response, and God tends to lead people who have an automatic yes. I, I put on your note sheet three characteristics of hearing God, and it's simply the seeking heart. It's the one that sits on the edge of their seat saying, Lord, I actually am waiting on you, and I want you to lead my life. It's the person who is, has, is gleaning a sensitivity to God's leading in their life. And we're going to talk about how to do that a little bit later. And then it's the one who is surrendered. And you know, when you are sensitive, seeking, and surrendered, God leads you. In fact, some of you might be uh, younger people or getting ready to go off to college. You're not sure what direction to go. Maybe some of you are making some decisions about career, those types of things. I make you an absolute promise that if you are surrendered to God, you'll do whatever he asks you to do. If you are seeking him and you are surrendered to him, I promise you, you cannot miss God's will. He won't let you. So you can trust him. You can depend on him. And I, I believe that in every aspect of my life. Now, there are times where we'll make a decision that we realize that decision maybe wasn't the best decision. God uses that. Because then we begin to understand the direction and God knows how to steer a ship that's moving. And sometimes we need to move and see where he's not calling us in order to understand where he is calling us. When you live with a yes on your heart, it is the best way for God to lead your life. Number two, the second thing that I noticed about this passage is that he was in a position where he could obey. He was in a position where he could actually obey, and not everybody is. Notice what it says early the next morning. 
okay? He didn't delay it. He didn't wait for a week. He didn't have to get things in order. He was living in a way so that when God said, I want you to do this, he could do this. And you're saying, well, pastor, that's how everybody is. No, it's not. Let's be honest. Depending on what God asks us to do, some of us are in a position we couldn't obey God even if we wanted to either by previous choices that we've made that we are so far out of line to be able to follow that. For example, let me give you a few. Spiritually, he didn't have to get anything in order. He didn't have to make anything right. He didn't have to pick anything up in his walk with God. He didn't have to put anything down in his walk with God. He didn't have to confess anything. He didn't have to get anything out of the way. When God said go, all he had to do is say yes. Why? Because he was spiritually in a current relationship with God. And sometimes because of our relationship with God, it's not that we can't get back on that path, but we've got a little bit of foundation work to do if we're really going to do what God wants us to do. Number two, the second thing I noticed is relationally, he had already, he not only had a relationship with God, he had a relationship with his teenage son. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but I want you to see this out of the passage. Okay, Isaac was at least old enough to understand the sacrificial system because Isaac said, wait a minute, Dad, where's the, burnt, where's, the, where's the lamb? He understood how sacrifice worked. He was out of under the care of his mom. He was weaned, so to speak. He wasn't just kind of, he was with Dad. Now, what's interesting here, Dad took the wood for the burnt offering, and who carried it? Isaac did. Okay, it takes a little bit of wood for a burnt offering. You don't do this with twigs. You do this with quite a bit. So he was old enough that he, between the two, was the stronger one to carry the wood. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. Maybe you never experienced this. But do you know, sometimes, sometimes, rare, teenage children don't want to listen to their parents. I know that shocks you. There are times where a teenager will push back. Isaac didn't. Somehow he had built enough trust, relationship, and respect with his son that when dad asked him to do something that didn't make a lot of sense, he trusted his dad. Nothing relationally had to be dealt with before Abraham said yes. Now, you might be still back on, but you know what? I don't want to say yes. I don't want to say yes to this. I actually want the child to push back on this. I get it. It's a hard passage. That's why I said, hardest test I see in all of Scripture other than the cross itself. Notice he financially was in position. He didn't have to save up for the trip. He just got up and went on the trip. And you're saying, oh, wait a minute, how do finances come into it? Let's be honest. Sometimes we are not financially in a place where we could obey. And if I could just say this out of love, and it's something that um, years ago the Lord had laid on Tammy and I's heart, we never wanted finances to get in the way of wherever God would want to lead us. 
And when you are in financial bondage, you will find fewer and fewer and fewer of your decisions will not be impacted by money. Money is not wrong. Money is a tool. But when I'm in bondage to money, it means every decision I make is being impacted by money. The house I live in, the car I drive, the school I go to, the job I take. The job I take. It's all impacted by money. Generosity, it's impacted by money. Now you're saying, well, I want to be a generous person. Okay, great. What are you doing today to put yourself in a position where you could be generous? Generous, what does that mean? Well, generous means that sacrificially I'm able to give as the Lord leads, right? That's what it is. Well, some of us wouldn't be able to do that. And so this is not a money issue. This is not a, it's just simply, am I in a position whereby I can obey? And if you're saying, hey, I'd like to be married someday. You're not married. Like, enough, if you are married, hopefully you'll stay married, right? But you might say, hey, I want to be married someday. Great. What are you doing today to work in your own life to become a man or a woman of God who is prepared that you're already working today to become that future spot? You're, you're preparing yourself. See, it's interesting how Abraham didn't have to do anything to be prepared because he was already prepared. Um, I don't know if you guys remember this guy. Um, I watched the movie not long ago called Sully. You ever watch that movie, Sully? Sully Sullenberg, 2009, Miracle on the Hudson. He's the, he's the pilot. It actually came up in a conversation this week. Uh, we were, Wesley asked me if I think I could land a plane uh, with a lot of people on it. And I said, yes, they might all die, but I could land it. I could do it. And it's that whole thing. And he said, well, I think I'd land on water. And I said, I don't know about that. I said, I, I think landing on water is actually kind of hard. And then I talked about that whole thing, the miracle on the Hudson. It's interesting what, what Sully Sullenberg says. Now, I don't know much about his life before. The movie got into it a little bit. But here's what he said. He said, all of my life... Everything I did prepared me for the one moment when I could perfectly execute what God had called me to do. And so I wrote this. I would dare say that up until that point, his life and his career had been perfectly ordinary. So that on an extraordinary day, he could perform perfectly. Our whole life is made up of moments where God is preparing us in our walk of faith, our daily grace, our daily walk, our daily uh, abiding in Him for those moments in life where God has a specific interaction for our lives. Now, I happen to believe living under the influence of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament age, God wants to actually lead us day by day. I believe that he wants to get involved in our daily lives, but I want you to just simply look. He was ready when God said, I want you to do this. Number three, what's interesting about, about him is that he had already nurtured a growing level of trust and reliance, meaning what? It wasn't the first time he obeyed. The first time he obeyed was not to sacrifice his son. The first time he obeyed was found back in Genesis chapter 12 when God says, hey, I'd like to move you into a different area that you're not really familiar with. 
Then he says, hey, by the way, I want you to trust me enough that I'm actually going to have you give up the best land and take land that doesn't look as good because what, the land that doesn't look as good is actually the better land for you and for your life and for your kids, the land of Israel as we would know it today. And he actually trusted that God was going to bring about a child for him. And then he actually trusted that God, in other words, he had nurtured this continuing sense of trust so that by the time he got to this moment, it wasn't easy, it just wasn't the first time. And I would dare say, as hard as maybe leaving your father and leaving your family and moving to a new territory might be for some people, it's not quite as hard as sacrificing my one and only son. There's a progressiveness in his faith and trust. So, so what does he do? He says, Lord, I want you to lead me, so therefore there's a yes on my heart. Lord, I want you to lead me, so therefore I'm going to live as ready as possible for whatever it is you have for me. And Lord, I want you to lead me, which means that I'm going to practice daily by abiding and trusting in you. I love what the book of Hebrews says, and I don't know if I put it in your notes or not, so if you'd like to turn there, you're welcome to. Hebrews chapter 11 has as much to say about Abraham as really any Old Testament patriarch. We see so much about him. Verse 8, it says, by faith... When called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he went. Even though he didn't know what, where he was going. By faith, he made his home in a, the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, whose heirs were with him to the same promise. By faith. Verse 11, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice, he who had received the promise. Now here's what's interesting. God had already given him what he thought the promise was. Abraham was willing to let go of the promise. And we learn some incredible takeaway truths from this passage. And the first takeaway truth that I would, I would want to apply is that there is no insignificant act of obedience or trust. There's no act that's too small. There's no trust or obedience that is too small. When we obey God in the small things or presumably small things, it is amazing how God can then lead us in the big things. A few weeks ago, we were at Brown City Camp. A number of you were there. How many might have been out at camp? Any of you out at camp? Not, not a lot of you. It's a great ministry. I encourage you. We're, next year, we're going to try to do a better job because a lot of people don't know about camp and what takes place there. It was a Tuesday night service. It became a testimony. So I actually mentioned this the week after it happened. And the service began as kind of a normal service. In fact, Pastor Bruce and Sherry and their team were leading and they sang a few songs, the choir did a song. And it was a great time. 
And they got up and they began to tell a couple of testimonies of what God had been doing in some of their young adults' lives. And then it kind of became a testimony service. Where people, when I say testimony, people would testify to what they were struggling with. Some confessed, some just simply gave a word to the Lord. Some of you were there. That service, by the way, went on two and a half hours. So if you're feeling like this is getting a little long-winded, People began to go to the altar, began to pray. There were teams that were there, and I went up to the altar. And I, I'll be honest with you, I do this a lot because I feel called to be a spiritual leader and, and to kind of take responsibility. I, simply, I was available. I was at the altar, but, but I, I was also I was evaluating the service. I was saying, okay, I just want to make sure this is of the Lord and make sure there's not a lot of flesh in this thing. It was very appropriate. Interesting after the service, There's a lot of different responses. Some people loved it. Some people were like, man, that was a mess. I kept evaluating. Was not judging, evaluating. I just kept talking to the Lord about it. And something struck me. First of all, there were probably was more significant work done at the altar during that service. Everybody's paying attention to who was speaking. Hardly anybody paid attention to people that were kneeling with people and praying. I don't know what took place there, but I'll bet you there were more people who responded than had there been a preacher. And some people got up and gave testimonies. That I gotta tell you, they were, they were heartbreaking. Some were incredible, some were inspirational. I gotta tell you, there was a good number. They weren't. They were a little messy. There were a few young people that got up that I'm thinking, hmm, kind of wish they hadn't got up. And this is the way it felt. And then I realized something. In my humble opinion, that service was not about everybody hearing what those people had to say. I think, I bet you there were had to be 50 people who got up that night. I think that service was about them obeying the prompting of God. I cannot tell you how many young people got up in tears saying, I didn't want to come up here. I didn't want to come up here. I, I can't believe I'm standing here but this is what God is saying to me. And it doesn't matter if it was profound to any of us who were listening. They did what God asked them to do. And how many wouldn't take that any day of our life of ministry that a young person, old person, or any person would obey what they sensed God was telling them to do? You know why? Because the next time God prompts them, they'll know how to obey. And the next time God prompts them, they're now kind of learning how to obey his voice. And then when God asks them to step out in faith and go somewhere, they're already listening. They know how to obey already. Oh, and then the next time God begins to talk to them about something he wants them to give up, they already know his voice. They've already been listening.
The question is, are we? Next week, there are going to be 30 to 40 people who step down onto the, stand, the, uh, the sand out in Fort Gratiot Beach and take a step of obedience by being baptized. Why? Because they believe God is leading them to do that. You can explain it away all you want. They're just simply following what they believe God wants them to do. And that step of obedience will bless them. Let me give you the last two for those who are going nuts right now with the last two blanks. Sometimes God might even ask us to risk the promise. What we thought was the period, God might actually ask us to risk that. And number three, and I want you to catch this, obedience always follows blessing. Take that back. I said that wrong. Obedience always brings blessing. See, we want the blessing before the obedience, and God says, I want you to be obedient, then I bring the blessing. Hope you caught that. That's the way it should be said. Father, I love this passage. It has been, for me, one of the all-time most impactful passages on just simply living under your Lordship. There are some that have really big decisions today as far as uh, jobs and direction, calling or whatever it might be. Others... It may not look as big, but see, there's no insignificant act of trust and obedience. As that song said, here I am. I'm available. Are you available this morning? I wonder, heads bowed, eyes closed, you're here. You're saying, Lord, I, I want you to lead me. Here I am. I'm available. I just want to raise your hand. Say, Lord, here I am. I'm, I'm available. I want you to lead me. I want you to direct me. It's scary, isn't it? It's funny. God's not even leading you, but you're afraid to put your hand up, right? Because it's like, I don't know what he's going to ask of me. That's exactly the point. But if he's our daddy and he loves us, then we can trust him wherever, even in the comma. Here I am. Lead me, Lord. Speak to me. I trust you and I'll obey. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.